Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Scale with Predictable Success. And today I am absolutely delighted to be talking to an incredible entrepreneur, a great friend over the years, and somebody who's well known to many in the Predictable Success tribe for reasons that will become clear, and that's Casey Graham. Casey, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Casey, you were last on this show in 2013. And <laughs> back then, you were running a company called The Rocket Company. Uh, you had just been uh, nominated to uh, Inc. 5000. You were Infusionsoft Marketer of the Year. And you came on uh, the show and told us all about how you were battling through Whitewater and you could just see predictable success in the horizon. And you left us all on tenterhooks, but you promised you would come back and tell us what happened. So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I found out, and again, I don't know where this fits in your books and principles and, and this, <laughs> but um, if your revenue runs out every 12 months, uh, it's hard to create a predictable success business. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, we were in a business that sold payment plans that were mostly 12 months and memberships and this, that, and the other. And so, um, one of the hardest lessons I learned was no matter how bad you want to scale something, if the revenue revenue is going away constantly and you're constantly having to backfill it, that, you know, you can do, you can try as hard as you want to have all the systems you want. But at the end of the day, if something's not stacking, it's hard to create scale. Um, over time. And so one of our biggest takeaways was um, it doesn't matter how you can't market yourself and you can't sell yourself to a better business model. Uh, your business model is what it is and um, you either got to change it. Uh, and that's what happened with me. I ended up selling that business. Um, it wasn't even because it was a good business. If I'm being completely frank, it was a very profitable cash flowing growing business, but it was because uh, there was a roll up that happened in that community uh, that we were in, which is actually the church space. And there was a company that was bought, they bought 38 companies in 36 months. Oh. Yeah, and then, so they rolled all these companies together. And so we were just part of that big tidal wave, but I exited because they, they gave me an unreasonable amount of money for um, the worth of the business. I mean, I'm being completely honest. Unreasonably high, I'm assuming, not yeah. unreasonably low. Well, it was 5X their initial offer. Um, oh, my word. Yeah, 5X initial offer, and, and it was a cash deal. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where I had gotten to the end of, like, I had realized and come to the realization, like, this is not going to – we're not going to build something out of this um, that it was the end. And it was the end okay. for me. Um, I didn't enjoy that market anymore. Um, and then what it did is it, it gave us a, you know, some, some gunpowder to, to get an exit uh, to then figure out what was next. And so uh, we sold that business. Was that difficult for you or were you just happy to be out? Um, it put me into 14 months of the deepest, darkest depression of my life, if I'm being completely frank. Because you felt what? You thought you'd somehow failed or let no. yourself down? Or? Uh, you know, I went on a search to find, there's not much written about post exit founders. Right. And so I went and, and I, and I, and I started looking and I found that, that really there are three things you lose when you sell a business uh, just for money. So I lost, um, a, people would say this is stupid, but for me, it wasn't stupid. 
a structure of time. Mm. Like I just, two weeks later, I'm sitting in Starbucks going, all right, well, you know, what are we going to do today? You know, and then you just start doing stupid stuff and making up stuff. And now I'm going to be a real estate investor or now I'm going to be this or that. Now I've got all this. So, so, so structure of time is something you lose that you don't think about. And everybody says, I want freedom. Right. Very few people want nothing to do and nowhere to be and nobody to be accountable to. Right. Very, very few people want that. You think you want it until you get it. And then you're like, this is basically hell. <laughs> uh, so that's number one. Number two is purpose. Um, something to, I believe in meaningful work, uh, something to work right. for. Um, and then number three was your community. Like when you're an entrepreneur, essentially you're letting people in that are core value fits. They're closer than family. A lot of time they fit and they're the right people and you're doing this thing. And then I handed over the keys. They kept going and I'm by myself sitting in Starbucks two miles down the road going, you know, what the hell, what, what's happening? And so with no purpose, no structure of time and all that, my wife's looking at me saying like, hey, you need to figure out something. And so my wife doesn't like me. I don't like me. I've got a pile of money. And the number one prevailing thought for me at that time period was I got lucky. Like I'll never be able to do anything again. Like I literally right. just got lucky. They gave me a pile of money. And then now I just need to survive somehow for the next you know, 30 or 40 years of my life. And so uh, that's what happened in between Rocket Company and starting the next uh, company. So you hadn't, uh, they hadn't uh, made you sign anything that you would stay on and continue to work for a year or three years. You were just finished and out. Um, you go into that 14 months. What, what happens next? I mean, I, I know the end game, but in the moment, what happens next? Do you start just thinking, what could I do? Did somebody come to you with an idea? Nope. Did you read another book? Nope. Uh, I tried third. I tried twelve ideas in fourteen months. My most famous idea that can't you see me in this business is I I I, I go into uh, college female fashion. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna create college a female. It's called Game Day Every Day, and I was gonna create this clothing line for females or whatever. And so it actually worked. We actually sold some shirts and got it out. And then the first thing that uh, they sent one back, and it came back to my house, and it said, "This is a slinky V, not a something V." And I was like, "I can't deal with this crap. I don't know what the hell the V's are, whatever." So, so I was trying stuff. I bought some real estate, did some transactions like that, some cash flow properties, and this, that, and the other. And then um, over a period of time. Um, the best thing that I did was I built a criteria. I kept, we kept trying all these different things, but the number one, I, I kept saying, but I don't want to have to be a uh, Mickey mouse anymore. Cause in the last business I was Mickey mouse. I had to show up and get on camera and wave and, you know, do the parades to get, you know, money. Right. And, sell. and I was like, I don't, I'm tired of that. I don't want to be the face anymore. I want to build a company. And then Renee was like, okay, well that's helpful. What else? And so we started building a criteria and we actually built out a criteria of everything I didn't want and everything I did want in building a next idea. And right. so inside of that criteria was a monthly recurring revenue. I wanted a high average uh, customer value. I didn't want to do the $49, $79, $19. I wanted right. a high ACV over a thousand dollars a month. Um, I wanted a business that, it didn't take me to sell or Renee to do. 
Right. And Renee, if you don't know, she's been my co-founder and with me for 18 years. So she's my operator that we- The wonderful with. Renee Weber. Yeah. Um, anyway, this may be too deep, but we built that criteria. And then out of the criteria, one of the ladies who worked for us at the rocket company got fired by the private equity group via email one day. They just sent her an email and fired her and said, your job's not there. We, and what we did with her was we had a failed credit card payment problem at the rocket company uh, before we sold. And so we put her in charge of that and we built leadership, some technology and process around it. She got fired and said, Hey, do you have anything? And then something hit, they clicked in my mind of going like, I wonder what other businesses are doing with, with what she's doing. And so then I called my friend, Amy Porterfield. She's in the uh, online marketing space. I said, Amy, what do you do about this? She's like, I don't know. I think somebody in finance does it, or I think somebody does. And I was like, well, what if we just took a look and we went and we did some forensic and just looked at how much was going out the back door due to failed credit card payments. And I said, Amy, so if you gave me half of the first month, um, you know, if I recovered these payments that you're losing anyway, would you give me half of it and you keep half and you keep all of the LTV of it? She said, sure. And so that was the beginning. It started and we we're like, oh my God, founders don't pay attention to this thing. And that was the genesis of, uh, of Gravy. Right. So just for um, some of the listeners who may not be familiar with this particular problem uh, with online e-commerce, just very quickly, give us a 30 second summary. What's a failed credit card payment? I guess we can intuitively work out that is. And, and what is what does Gravy do about it? Yeah, um, failed credit card payment is insufficient funds. It may be you're traveling and the bank puts a hold on your credit card. There's 200 and something reasons a credit card will not process on a subscription. <laughs> and when that credit card does not process, that's called a credit card failure. And what most companies do is they try to use automated retries or like you've gotten before, I'm sure an automated email, Hey, update your credit card. Right. But if you don't do it, they just cancel you. And so most, most, most companies send out one or two of them, try your card a couple of times and then they just cancel you. But what we found is that if you had metric based leadership process and you created a system around it, because most of them try to treat it like a project, not a process. And so, right. Um, we're the consistent process. So we're basically a business process outsourcing where they give us this one thing and we focus on it all the time and we keep their, uh, we keep their subscriptions online. Hmm. And uh, totally mundane, uh, uh, nitty gritty question, but I got to ask, where did you get the name and when did you just know that it was right? Well, the first name, I suck at naming stuff. So the first name, the official first name and it's still the name of our LLC was Payment Saver LLC. <laughs> right. Okay. That's really we, snappy. Yeah. We went to our first uh, advisory board. Uh, I always have an advisory board. We meet twice a year and uh, I told them about it and this next new idea and they loved the idea, but they said the name is terrible. You need to figure it out. And so we hired a, uh, a friend of mine who does like brand ending or whatever. And he took us through a process and I thought it was super clever. He just said, Hey, let's go look online at everything that says money, but it doesn't say money. And so we're looking for synonyms of money and all this stuff. So it's cheddar, dough, blah, blah, we you know one. And one was gravy and actually <laughs> Renee found it. And then uh, we ended up going, Oh, we like that one because this is pure gravy back to the business and it's gravy to us if it's gravy to them. And that's where it came from. <laughs> that's brilliant. And so, How's it gone? Share with us what you feel comfortable sharing in terms of growth and size. 
Oh, sure. So we're about to go past 10 million ARR. Um, wow. We are, are uh, primarily bootstrapped. I still own 86%, you know, Renee owns 10%. Uh, and then there's some incentive uh, shares inside of there. We've raised a little bit of capital, uh, $1.5 million convertible note. Uh, we did, um, I'm, a, I'm very conservative fiscally. Um, but this, I, you know, our LTV to CAC right now is 11 and a half to one. And so uh, our return on ad spend is six to one and we're moving. So we've got about 72 people on staff full time and we're pushing and we're about, you know, our goal is to return, our, our mission, what we're set on target to do is to return $1 billion back to businesses by the end of 2023. So we set that in 2017. We've currently returned about $136 million back to our customers. And so um, we've got, you know, about nine, you know, 10X to go to get to that billion dollars back. Um, that equals about 300 team members and it equals about a, th a $50 million ARR. So that's what we're shooting for uh -huh. the end of 2023. Right. And I'd love to just reflect with you a little bit on, uh, you're one of the uh, most uh, dedicated uh, sort of lifetime learners that I know. I mean, you're always, you know, doing something to enhance your already wonderful leadership skills. And I'd just like to talk a little bit about the difference between, you know, Casey Graham now and Casey Graham back and, Rocket Company does, but before we do that, there's sort of an unavoidable, uh, hardly an elephant in the room, but 2020 is 2020, right? It's just been unbelievable. How has the COVID um, uh, crisis and everything that's gone alongside it impacted the business of it all? Um, I hate to say it because I don't want to be sound rude or cocky. It, it actually helped us. Right. Um, and the reason why is all of our industries that we serve are online businesses. And so we don't serve any physical locations hardly. Most of our stuff is online, subscription-based, like everything you go that has gone up in the stock market, those kind of businesses are the kinds of businesses that we serve. Um, but when it hit, obviously we didn't know. Like we didn't know that before we didn't know. So we didn't know if we were going to lose half our customer base. We didn't know what was going to happen. And so, um, frankly, when, when it hit, we, we had an internal mantra, uh, called built for this and our, um, our we rallied our entire company around, uh, six levers and we gave them six levers that we would keep in public and we would let them know every single week on a team meeting, because we have a team meeting every week with all team every Tuesday from uh, 10 a.m. to 10.45 a.m. And it's for inspiration, not information. And <laughs> we lay out the levers for them to know where we were so there wouldn't be any ambiguity about where we were. And one of the levers was creating a green, yellow, and red system so that we would say we're on green and we would put thermometer or yellow or red based upon risk level of where we are with the business, what we're seeing with churn, cash in the bank, all that stuff. And so um, we led through that and um, it was probably one of the proudest moments um, for, for our business. I think our group now looks back and say, well, if we went through that, you know, and the fear of it that we can, we can get through most anything. Uh, um, and were your people all virtual? Always from the beginning. So again, another total luck is that we started and we say Slack is our headquarters. Right. So 
we've put tons and tons of effort into virtual culture for the last three years. And so when this hit, there was like, we were, people were calling us, asking us how to do virtual culture, our cu customers. Okay. Right. So, um, again, I'm not saying we're perfect. Please don't hear that. Please don't. We just were, we were fortunate. We were lucky right. in that way. Well, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, as you well know, is, is being endlessly debated right now is what shape uh, is this recovery? If it is a recovery, is it W, is it V? And, you know, that everybody's talking at the moment about a K yeah. recovery where, you know, you've got not just businesses, but organizations that are that are just decimated and this whole industry is wiped out. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've seen, uh, as I have, just the pain that totally. this has caused. And it's easy to feel really uncomfortable uh, if you're on the other part of the K. And the truth is, and, and I, I, I struggle with it uh, emotionally, I'm I'm the busiest I've ever been. This is by a long chalk the busiest year I've ever had, and I have client after client after client who are in exactly the same position, and I, many of them feeling guilty about it. And yeah, it's you know I can sort of understand it, but the other aspect of it is that you know if 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 it means that you and the other clients that I have can continue to grow and give employment. It's nothing but a good thing. And so congratulations on that. And it's a horrible thing to have happened to all of us, but uh, I'm just delighted to see that many great organizations like yours aren't just, you know, existing, they're thriving and uh, may that happen to everybody. Let's just maybe reflect a little bit on your, on uh, these last number of years. First of all, have you got what you wanted in terms of not needing to be Mickey Mouse? And if so, you know, who are you now? What sort of a leader do you view yourself as? Yeah, definitely not Mickey Mouse. Right. I would say I'm Mickey Mouse to our team. Okay, you're internally that way, right? I'm internally that way. I've, I've taken all the vision and communication skills and our team meeting every week, people say it feels like a Tony Robbins conference meets a great church service or something, you know, like <laughs> right. so there's that, all of that internally, but um, externally, no, I mean, I haven't sold a contract since early 2018. Um, I'm the worst marketer on the team. Um, I have no <laughs> functional responsibility um, at all. So, I'm, I'm completely replaced myself in all of those ways. Um, and you helped me with that by allowing me, you told me that as a visionary leader to keep a 20% sandbox for me. And so I have a 20% fun sandbox that I play in that has nothing to do with gravy. Uh, right. I have these stupid little venture things on the side or whatever, but when I do my little visionary magic voodoo things, but at gravy, I've become a different, uh, Renee would tell you just a different, uh, CEO. Right. Uh, it's how would I view myself? Um, I think I'm a, I think if you had to boil it down is that I actually know why I own this business 
and I actually know what I want out of the business and I never did before. And so I'm confident in confidence stepping into the unknown and bigger future and pushing the limits and all of that stuff without living in crazy fear all the time because right. of why I'm doing it, which is my owner's intent. So before I started this business, I created what's called an owner's intent, which was uh, to create a business that I would want my adult children to work in someday if they so chose to. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'll even own the business, but it means that I, I would build the business in such a way that the way that we do team meetings, the way that we give benefits, the way that we do pay, the way that we do is that if they came home to me when they're 30 years old and said, dad, listen to what our company did, listen to what our company offers, listen to how our company does, you know, paternity or maternity leave, or listen to how our company does this. I want to build that company now. And so that's the number one filter through which how we're building this, which is way wow. different than, you know, I want to build some cash flow machine. So I make the least amount of money I've ever made in my life right now. Uh, <laughs> well, on the uh, uh, does this makes sense. It does. Uh, uh, just on the sandbox uh, um, comment that you made, I just want to share with the listeners um, for those of you that are aware of our visionary operator processor synergist model. Uh, Casey's a classic. Well, you're not a classic in anything, but you're classic in the sense of, of being an op, a visionary to the point where uh, it can actually become problematic and you can flip into what I call an arsonist, which, which is not a judgmental statement. It's just you're so full of ideas that they come cascading out. And um, the principle that Casey's referring to is that if you're like that and if you're resonating with that, what you really need to do for the good of your business, if you genuinely want to grow it and scale it, is you got to go get a sandbox, get a play box where you can go do all of that crazy stuff. And, and that allows you, doesn't make it easy, but it, it makes it easier to just stay focused and disciplined in the core business. Now, I recall, I want to play off of that uh, to ask you about something else. I recall you grappling with all of that and watching with admiration as you really did become self-aware and you decided you were going to try to fix that. And at that time, uh, Renee uh, was... I, I, I'm maybe slightly understanding it, but she was much more of your assistant. You're talking about her now as, as your co-founder. I, I, it's clear to me that over the years, you've mentored her and coached her and her role and her leadership abilities have changed over time. How, how does that play out between the two of you now? And, um, you know, what did you see in her that really m meant that you presumably went to some length to ensure she came with you out of Rocket Company and into Gravy? Yeah, so that was one of the things I wrote in the contract of uh, the purchase-sell agreement is that R Renee would be able to come, you know, with me. Right, and that uh, was why. I have, I wouldn't, I have no idea how I would ever create anything without Renee. <laughs> uh, we've been doing this now for 18 years of working um, in this symbiotic relationship but it moved from, oh, you're helping me to know, actually you're half of me from a, if we could draw up a CEO in one uh, circle and say, visionary can go, all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, there's somebody with soft skills that can nurture and can manage and all this kind of stuff. And so together, we're just better as a co-founder, as a unit. And so she's chief of staff. Um, and so, I don't have any direct reports. Like I'm terrible at management. I don't like, I have a dotted line to everybody. Right. 
Um, and so I'll buzz in and buzz out, but I'm not going to get in there and do weekly meetings and, you know, like figure all that kind of stuff out. And so we basically are one CEO. <laughs> if you had to really break it down, like our company, when they talk about stuff, they'll say, I'm so glad Casey and Renee, it's not right. Casey, it's both. And, uh, she's a wonderful leader. Um, she does it in her own way and, uh, she's completely patient, nurturing, loving, and, um, she loves it. But at the same time, she likes having me for let's go adventure. She, she doesn't have a visionary skill at all. So right. she doesn't really see into the future very well. And so together, that's why we're symbiotic. Yeah, that's a perfect, perfect combination. And so what about this last go find. So every, everywhere we go, people will go like, Oh, this is your spouse or, Oh, you know, whatever. Always. <laughs> it's very rare to have a male, female, co-founders that are not married right. very rare and Correct. so i think there needs to be more of it um and i think that there's a benefit in doing that um anyway that's a secondary thing but but it's really helped us because we have like 80 percent of our staff is females as well and right. so it's just it's just there's something to it and it works anyway uh yeah and you're quite right it's very rare i've only i think seen it successfully one other time um but uh, it's not a common thing at all. And it's wonderful that um, you both had the self-awareness of recognizing that the symbiosis there absolutely produces much more than the sum of the parts. What are the uh, big challenges moving forward? You've got your billion dollar give back goal. What are the, you know, what, what milestones are there on the way? What are the big moving parts for you? Yeah, so we just went from, we were at about 50 staff and we'll be at a hundred by the by the end of January. So in a period of about um, in a period of let's say 120 days, um, we have three strategic initiatives. One is to um, is to, is technology led growth, meaning for the first time, the more things that we plug into into the future, the bigger our TAM becomes. Right. So that's number one. Number two is that we want to um, re revenue velocity. Like we've been like this and we just tilted like the first time I've ever been in a hockey stick situation. It just tilted. Right. How, how do we, how do we pour even more gas on that at a sustainable rate to where, but we're not bringing on bad business. So revenue velocity is number two. And then number three, which is my priority, which is the number one thing I'm thinking about is multiplying culture at scale. How do you do that? You know, how do you, how do you, cause I mean, I've had three years with people that are all bought in and values and alignment. Now all of a sudden we have more new people than we have older people. Right. How do you do that? And so I even would, I, uh, you know, like to flip the question back to say, that's the number one thing on my mind. And obviously the hiring process and this, that, and the other, but still the, everything changes. So is it possible to create, culture at scale is it possible or does everything morph and change so that's my question back to you uh it, it there's a break point at about 75 people um that's a that's the point at which no matter how hard you try you can't pretend that this has got any of the family element you know in the sense of we're all family and we know each other and we know who each other's pets are and where everybody yep. goes on vacation that just that becomes impossible to do uh, so what that means is that the culture 
you can maintain culture and you can maintain a really healthy culture, but you can't maintain the same culture. It can't be exactly the same. And, and those organizations that I see there were uh, the founder owner or founder owners try to keep the same culture. There becomes an inner circle, which are those people who historically have the knowledge of the old stories, not just the knowledge of the old stories, but were involved in it. And then everybody else ends up being, no matter how hard you try, they become lookers on on that. So you've got to build new stories. That's what it's all about. Just build new stories. Don't keep re-upping the old stories because it alienates people. Um, and if anybody can do that, it, it's you. A lot of presence, you know, just stomping around, doing what obviously you are doing, which is getting out there and not closeting yourself away and working on spreadsheets. Just be with the people all the time, find other culture, find other storytellers who are aligned within the organization and give them a spotlight, put them up from time to time. And I'm, I'm quite sure you'll, you'll make a remarkable success of it. Casey, it's been just wonderful to have you come back and update us. I'm so excited for you. Um, who knows, you, you, the listeners can't see this, of course, but you look younger than you were here in 2013, but maybe just slightly because you were flying through so much whitewater back then. Uh, so I don't know what the next stage has got for you, man, but I'm excited to watch it. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for your help and for everybody to listen. I know you won't take the credit, but uh, I'll always give you the credit for the awareness and uh, your tough love was really good for me and I appreciate it. So thank you for helping me and thank you. Uh, all the new people always say, Renee tells them, Hey, y'all better be glad y'all caught Casey in this company and not the last one. <laughs> and then we say, and we thank you. And we, we tell all the processors about you because uh, you, you took us to marriage counseling basically with me and all the processors. And now my, well, you know, it's funny and this, I know we're trying to end it, but I will say this, the processors are my favorite people now. Well, right. that, as my mother would have said, that is new light out of old windows. <laughs> because we did have some interesting marriage counseling, I do remember back in the day. Um, just before you do go, uh, Casey, for the folks who uh, were listening to uh, what Gravy do and are thinking, hey, I, I need that, uh, where do they go find out about that? Yeah, gravysolutions.io, gravysolutions.io, and all the pricing and guides and blah, blah, all the stuff's there. So check it out there. Everybody, check it out. Thank you, Casey.